Hello and welcome to a very special episode of the Tai Chi Notebook Podcast. I'm Graham Barlow and in this episode I'm teaming up with Ken Gillette to answer a variety of the kind of questions that Tai Chi teachers get asked a lot. Now Ken is mainly a Chen style guy, I'm mainly a Yang style guy, so it's no surprise that we have slightly different views on a lot of different topics. But that's part of the fun of it all. Ken is an all-round good guy and owner of the Internal Fighting Arts website where he teaches the arts of Shingi, Bagua and Tai Chi at very reasonable monthly cost. Check him out at internalfightingarts.com And if you'd like to help out my podcast, then you can now become a friend of the Tai Chi Notebook on Patreon. Head over to patreon.com slash Tai Chi Notebook and you'll be able to get a downloaded version of this podcast as well as support my work and get exclusive articles. But first, something of a disclaimer. This podcast is recorded in one take, so some of the answers we give are pretty off the cuff. So don't get offended by anything we say or don't say or could have said. Just sit back and enjoy the ride as we have some fun talking about Tai Chi. We'll probably do this again, so if you've got any comments on what we say, then send them in. We'd love to hear from you. But now it's time to centre the dragon, repulse the monkey and return the tiger to the mountain. Here's the first Tai Chi Talk episode featuring Ken Gillette and me, Graham Barlow. So, hi, Ken. How are you today? Great. Good morning so far. I'm a little bit behind you, about, about six hours. Well, I always like to feel like you're a little bit behind me. <laughs> <laughs> so, so we, we, we have, between us, over 60 years of Tai Chi experience. So we're going to just lay that experience down for the people today. Lay it down. Well, lay it down, brother. <laughs> <laughs> so we've got a number of questions that we've um we've gathered together um between us from various things we've been asked and things that we remember being asked so should we just start with a question that, that started this whole thing sure which was so i got a question from a tai chi uh person on email saying how do i raise the spirit of vitality and what does it mean <laughs> so what's what's your take on that ken that's a really good question. Well, I got my cue of how you responded to him and the discussion of uh, the breathing and the chi and the chi flowing and the vitality connected to that and spirit, how those two are connected, those three things. But I look at spirit not as uh, it is the spirit of vitality but it can also be a weak spirit or a depressed spirit. And so, you know, one of the keys to effective self-defense and effective Tai Chi, they say you should have the spirit in your eyes as you do your movements. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, when I first started training, we were trying to blank our eyes. We were trying to calm our minds and not think of anything, mm. which is kind of a mistake. So I think if you have a fighting spirit, you've got spirit. If you're okay. scared, if you're attacked and you're scared, you have a weak spirit. That's, yeah, I, I go along with that. I mean, my answer to the, the question was, what do you mean by spirit? Because in English, um, or American, uh, <laughs> we have this, this one word called spirit, which is like a catch-all word for a huge variety of things. And then we tend to yeah. add words to it, like we say spirit of vitality or fighting spirit. I did a podcast with uh, my Shingi teacher, Damon, 
Um, and he's very into Mongol culture and the Mongol language. And in Mongol, there are about seven words, probably more. I'm guessing it's seven. There's probably more. It's like Eskimos and snow. There's like 40 words for snow. In Mongol, there's, there's 40 words for spirit. And they're all different words. And in English, they all translate just into the one word, spirit. So you have one word that he's taught me, which I don't know how to spell in English, or, or let alone even in Mongol script, uh, is hooch. Hooch. That's probably pronounced awfully, but it means a feeling of energy and vitality. So to hooch would be the, like the, spirit, the spirit of vitality in English, you know. So that sense of being full of energy and awake and aware and the opposite of being depressed, I guess. So that could be what this guy's talking about when he says spiritual vitality. But equally, spirit has all these other meanings in English, which confuses the matter. One of those meanings would be fighting spirit. So you're right. If he means fighting spirit, then that's what it is. <laughs> but I, I think it can be a spirit. You're, well, I grew up in the, Kentucky and the Bible Belt. So if oh, you yeah. are in Kentucky and you say your spirit, they think of religious things, your spirit. Your, but your soul, your soul or master something. I guess maybe saying fighting spirit is narrowing it too much. I think it's your general attitude and confidence and positivity or lack of it is part of what makes your overall spirit. When yeah. I was in a school in Omaha, despite the flaws, one of the good things he did was he would say, show spirit as we were doing our Xingyi or Bagua or whatever, or working one steps with a partner. He didn't want people in there being sloppy or lazy or just going through the motions, you know, have spirit. Mm. And that, mm. to me, was a pretty good definition. Yeah. The question is that is that what Shen means in Chinese? It could be. I believe so. It's possible. But it's possible. if the Shen leads the Yi, then your fighting spirit, your spirit is going to direct your mindset and your intent. From there, the Qi and then the Li. It yeah. makes sense in that perspective. There's a logic to that. I mean, you could also say, for example, that Shen means the spirit of nature. So it's connecting yourself to the spirit of nature. So where your actions are in harmony with nature. That's another way of looking at it. True. That one works for me. So endless ways. Anyway, he said, how do I do it? My answer was, keep your head up. <laughs> what does it come down to? It comes down to the very simple action of if we, if we, you know, as I'm using my laptop here, if I round my shoulders and hunch my back and my head goes down, my spirit goes down. Whereas if I lengthen my neck, tuck my chin slightly, raise up, as you do in Tai Chi or as you should do in Tai Chi, then, you know, that the physical action, the basic physical action has a, an effect. So the external has an effect on the internal. Yeah. No, but I, I think I think your answer is good too. I think like show spirit, like you can instantly understand what that means, even if it's hard to intellectually explain what what the difference between showing spirit and not showing spirit is. It's you know, it's not you know, when you see someone perform martial arts and they're showing spirit, you can tell, can't you? Yeah, and when you have students come into a class and you start showing techniques, you start teaching, you can tell 
especially when the sparring begins, whether mm. they have the spirit that they need to be successful at that kind of thing. Probably the same uh, in your arts and in BJJ. If you go in with a weak attitude, <laughs> wimpy and not really giving it everything you've got, you're going to be choked out pretty quick. Yeah, although equally, sometimes I'm just laying traps for people. Like <laughs> I, 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 when I start a roll off, I, I, I've got this reputation that at our club, like most people are, you know, they start off and you do the slap and bump thing with the hands. You go boom, boom, and then you fight. And it's like I go boom, boom, and just lie down. <laughs> and yes. they, they, they look confused. They don't know what to do. And I, and I go, come on, just, just come on. And it's it's all a trap, you know what I mean? It's like I'm oh, just waiting sure. for them. I'm waiting for them to put their foot in the wrong place or their arm in the wrong place. But that's strategy—that's not a lack of spirit. That's it's, strategy. It's trickery. It's like isn't a, it? <laughs> pretending that. Yeah, it's like pretending you're hurt or you're old. You know, I've gone through self-defense scenarios in my mind. What would I do if you know, I'm out in public and some guy with a anger issue comes up and wants to? I would, I would, you know, I've got gray hair. I've got about to be 70 in a few months. And I'm, I would say, come on, man, I'm no match for you. And then see what he did from there. But that would be not a weak spirit. That would be strategy. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Cool. Then I would Should knock his then? head off. Knock yeah. his head off with bung chuan. <laughs> wait, wait for him to look the other way and then <laughs> suck a punch <laughs> the hell out of him. <laughs> 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 okay next question my teacher says yeah, but... we shouldn't do any weight training because you will be too muscular and can't do tai chi properly is he full of shit <laughs> all right my answer is yes he is full of shit and the next time you see him give him a roundhouse <laughs> kick to the head <laughs> from from or, Ken. <laughs> or sucker punch him <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad we're teaching people the correct way of Tai Chi here. This is great. <laughs> <laughs> so what, yeah. what, what's, so big muscles aren't bad in the school of uh, Ken Gallet. I don't think big muscles are what I've ever gone after, but toned, healthy muscles are always good. And when I had my near-death experience at Cleveland Clinic and it punctured my heart accidentally with a wire and uh, have turned out I had one lung. They said the only reason I survived was the condition I was in. Yeah, and I dropped a lot of weight, lost a, lost a lot of muscle mass, but I had it to lose. Yeah, I came out very weak, but I didn't die, and so that was because I'd all my life I'd cross trained, and mm. I believe that cross training is the key, not only weight training in a sensible way. I've never bench pressed 350, never will, never was interested in doing that. And I have some guys, some friends, I've got a friend in the 60s who brags about all the weight he's pressing. Well, suddenly he's got such serious back issues, he's going to have surgery. I tried to warn him a few years ago, man, you're getting in your 60s now. It's time to back off and understand nature takes its course. There's nothing you can do about it, but you can still be strong. But he didn't want to hear it, and now he's got. You know, my joints are fine. Yeah, I've um, I've never been one for going to the gym. I've I've never done weight training, apart from 
like a you know kettlebell at home, but not not like proper barbells and the rest of it. It's just never appealed to me. It just seems a bit unnatural. I feel I feel like a bit like a one of those hamsters on a wheel where they <laughs> they're sort of in, in an unnatural environment and being made to repetitively do something. It it just doesn't appeal to me. You're in yeah. good shape. You're healthy. Yeah, I I, I do body weight things. Um, I obviously train Tai Chi, Jiu Jitsu, all that kind of stuff. And people tell me I'm strong in Jiu Jitsu, which is sometimes a backhanded compliment. I think doing Jiu Jitsu gives you strength training that isn't doesn't have anything to do with lifting weights. But at the, at the same yeah. time, you've got the resistance and the uh, oh yeah, I can I can tell a difference in my muscles when I've done work with a partner yeah uh, it's, doing, and, it's doing weight training yeah. with a with a person as the apparatus isn't it um, yeah i i think just like you said being strong makes you harder to kill that's always a good thing you don't need big muscles to do tai chi obviously but you don't need no muscles <laughs> you know you need to have a, a certain amount of integrity in your body otherwise it's just it's just not going to work um what the only thing i think about muscles is i tell people it's what my teacher told me. Don't do a load of weights and then do uh, jam jong, qigong standing straight after because you've weakened your muscles. You break them down when you do the weights. And then if you try to do qigong where you're holding your arms out, they'll already be weakened before you even start. So it's not beneficial. So he didn't say don't do the weights. Just don't, don't mix them together in the same session. Keep them separate. I'm not sure I agree, but that's one reason one of the reasons we're having this conversation. Oh, right. Okay. Uh, I think there are so many people who say don't do weights, don't do this, don't do this after you eat qigong, don't do this after at this time of day. I don't know. I don't follow many of those things. Mm. Just do it. It's a lot of it's a very Chinese thing, this don't do things at certain times and like don't drink cold water. And uh, if you're going to treat your liver, treat it between 1 a.m. and 3 a.m. because those are the <laughs> yeah. liver hours. <laughs> I, can see, I can see the logic in don't, don't break your body down and then try and do yes. an exercise that involves uh, like holding your arms out and trying to strengthen them. It's, I can see the logic sure. in that. Yeah, I, I guess so. Yeah, it's not. It's not saying don't do weights. It's saying you can do do the weights. It's fine. Just yeah, you know, give it give it a little rest before you try to do the other thing. Cool. Yeah, Should we go to the next? Go to the sure. next question. Okay. Oh, this was an interesting one. My teacher says that some of the movements in the form have no martial application, and they're just there to move energy around. Is this true? <laughs> what do you think? You answer okay. first this time. So I think. Um, well, you've got to break down what he means by the question. What what does he mean by move energy around? Okay, so the sun tai chi form, for example, which I don't do, but I've seen done, they tend to do sections and have this sort of um, characteristic movement they repeat between sections where you bring the hands together as if you're holding a football and then open them out again. And it looks to me like that movement is not necessarily a martial movement. And you don't see it in other styles of Tai Chi. It's quite 
possible to me that that is a Qigong type of movement that's been put into the form deliberately. The other thing I thought about was maybe his teacher just doesn't know the applications of the movements and he's making that up as an excuse, which is quite possible as well. Another thing I thought was with the martial applications of movements, some of the movements in a Tai Chi form might not be there because they're purely martial. Now, this is controversial, but there is a, such a big crossover in Chinese culture between movements from theatre, entertainment, street performance, qigong forms, martial art forms. A lot of these things were done by the same people. The same people doing one thing were also doing the other thing. I find it impossible to imagine that there is no crossover and that some of the movements are perhaps cultural in value. And that's why they're performed the way they are, not necessarily because they are the absolute best martial art way of doing a armbar, choke, wrist lock, or something else. So I don't know what you think of that, but that's what my answer would be. Yeah, I, you know, I guess it all depends on perspective. And I don't know all styles of Tai Chi very well, mm. but I know from my Chin style studies, Everything your hands do in every position they're in is related to a self-defense application. Everything, every step, every position of the leg, every rise of the knee. And it's fascinating to me. That's one of the things that fascinates me so much about the art, how these flowing movements become powerful fighting applications and in such such a wide variety of techniques as well. So uh, there may be some movements that are, you know, yeah, when the hands come in, go out, I can see how that could be a squeezing the ball, you know, the mm. Qigong exercise. But pretty sure there's a martial application to be found, but maybe we just get too creative. I don't know. I think it's true that a good martial artist can make a martial application out of anything. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? If you took the movements of making a pizza, <laughs> you know, you're like you you sprinkle the sprinkle the cheese on top, you take the pizza off the shelf, you put it in the oven, it's it's roll back and push, you know. Um, hey, and there's a little bit of a tea serving to that. When yeah, pick the platter up. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. When you serve it, a little bit of a teacup exercise. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, that, that's that's what I find difficult to. I find it difficult to know if I'm looking at a martial arts movement or a movement from something else that is being done in a martial way. In a way, it doesn't matter. What matters is what you can do with that movement yourself. But the origins. Are, for me, are shrouded in mystery. They could have come from anywhere, and I don't. I don't want to discount the possibility that this movement that I use for creating a, an armbar on someone was actually the movement of a courtier as he ushered somebody into the room to present them to the <laughs> emperor. I mean, it's quite possible. <laughs> yeah, it's possible. Who knows? Who knows? I I looked through the Laozi Yilu form, uh, seventy-five movements and. Chen Tai Chi, the, the main form in the Chen village. And I, over time, found more than 400 fighting applications within that form. With joint locks, hand strikes, kicks, sweeps, throws, 
takedowns. And it's fast. And since then, I've found more and am learning more uh, in studies the last couple of years. So, you know, it's fun to get with my guys here and we just start playing with a movement and come up with applications even I haven't thought of until now. Mm. And so, yeah, I would say if a teacher says that there are movements without applications, you should give him a roundhouse kick to the head <laughs> and and then point another direction and then sucker punch him. So that, that's, <laughs> hey, we're that's, on a roll here. There, there's a theme to this. So basically, you, you've sucker punched and roundhouse kicked at least two out of our three <laughs> questions so far. <laughs> well, I'm very I, I, centered about it. Very centered about it, though. I feel like I'm being more generous to these people. You're just... <laughs> I tried just beating be. them up. <laughs> yeah, I used to be judgmental. <laughs> and now look at me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, let's go for an easy question, right? How long should you practice each day? Let's see if we can avoid sucker punching and roundhouse kicking and playing last this one. <laughs> uh, how long should you practice each day? Yes, that's the answer. Y yes. Uh, how long is a piece of string? <laughs> how many freshmen okay. can't be wrong let me let Let's me rephrase see. that what's the minimum amount you should practice each day <laughs> four hours or nothing that's, <laughs> yeah that's difficult isn't it we, you know with our lives and the modern world and sometimes mm. i think five or ten minutes if you can squeeze it in even five minutes of qigong can really uh help you in many ways just going through part of a form and just sometimes i'll just do one silk reeling exercise mm -hmm. and i'll work on the body mechanics of that one exercise and in doing that that sometimes i haven't had time during the day and i'll do an exercise while watching tv uh, and just work on the body mechanics so yeah, I don't think you necessarily have to. It depends on how much time you practice overall and if you're making progress. Yeah, I was going to give the same answer, really. I think anything is better than nothing. And even 10 minutes of Qigong can have a, a tangible effect on how you feel, your posture and your breathing and your sense of calmness and all that kind of stuff. And then once you've done 10 minutes, you quite often then want to do more. You know, because you're you're into that frame of mind. So small steps can lead to bigger things. I often do stuff in front of the TV as well in the evenings because I get bored watching TV. And uh, I, I just annoy my wife, though. That's a problem. She's, she's, she's watching TV and she goes, you're making a draft. <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> so I, I like I, to. I, I just hate to sit there on my butt all evening watching TV. Yeah, I can't. Yeah, exactly. I can sit still for like an hour. And then it's, that's enough now. I need to move. My body needs to move. But I'm not allowed to do Troy's foot because it's, it's too draft making. <laughs> so I, I can do Tai Chi. That's okay. <laughs> you know, I don't know that much about Choi Lee Fuck. I can't even envision it in my mind. Oh, it's, 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 it's good fun. It's, um, I've got to say there are two styles of Choi Lee Fuck. There's probably loads of different styles of Choi Lee Fuck. But the big style, the one that, is most popular is called Hung Sing, which is named after the Chan Hung, the guy who was a founder. 
And that's the most traditional style of Chorifat. And they have an almost unlimited number of forms to learn. It just goes on forever. And then the style I do is called the boxing style, uh, which was a spin-off style from um, that style. So the master who created that style was Tam Sam, and he cross-trained with Northern Shaolin. So you often with uh, Kuyu Chang, who was the, the king of Iron Palm. So those two masters swap students between each other. And ever since then, you tend to get Choi Fat and Northern Shaolin trained together as a sort of unified martial art. And then within that, some people will specialize in the Choi Fat and some people will specialize in the Northern Shaolin. And that's the tradition that my Choi Fat came from, except I didn't get much of the Northern Shaolin because my teacher was more interested in the Choi Fat because the Northern Shaolin requires incredible flexibility and he was already too old. You know, you have to start when you're a kid, basically, to get that level of incredible flexibility that you need to do it. Because it's all high kicks and things. The Choi Fat isn't high kicks, but the boxing isn't high kicks. It's like low kicks, practical techniques that you can just do and the work, you know. That's what he likes about it. How do you spell the, the style that you study? You can spell it with a P or a B, but they mostly spell it with a B. So it's B-U-K, Buck Sing, S-I-N-G. Okay. So I'm going to Yeah. I did a uh, podcast interview with Phil Duffy, who is a Buxing Choi Fat guy from Hong Kong. And I've got a video of him doing it. Uh, he's very good. He's a, Br- a British guy who trained in Hong Kong. Uh, I'll send it to you because I think he, he's got the uh, the boxing flavor quite nicely. And the style I do, it, every style is slightly different. Our style looks slightly different because my teacher trained that and Tai Chi. We're much more influenced by Tai Chi and much less influenced by Northern Shaolin. So our boxing is what you probably think a little less external looking and more rounded and Tai Chi looking when we do it. Um, and a bit less, a bit more sloppy. Like the boxing stars with the more external Northern Shaolin influence tend to be much more accurate because Shaolin is all about that accuracy and turning on a dime. They're very precise. Whereas Tai Chi, well, the young, young style Tai Chi is much more natural and trying to create that aesthetic of flowing and rounded and everything like that. So my Chori Fat style is more, more in that direction. So I'm, I'm less, less precise and dramatic and Shaolin-like when I do it and more Tai Chi-like, if that makes any sense. Interesting. Yeah. I think it's impressive that you have a black belt in BJJ. I think that's a, that took a lot of work, didn't it? And not oh, only work, but really hard so work on the ground. <laughs> it takes so much work. Yeah, yeah. You've got to be doing like three intense sessions a week at least. When you come off, you're just soaked in sweat and panting and dying. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, but it's but it's such good fun as well. It's, yeah, it's, not, I, all, I it's, think not, it's everybody, not all pain and misery. It's, it's, it's good. Everybody should know some of that. Everybody should. I think, I think if everyone got to get a blue belt in jiu-jitsu, it would be so good for getting rid of the woo-woo, you know, nonsense out of, out of Tai Chi. Because <laughs> it's a little practical taste of the reality of weight and the physicalness of, of people. And how you have to deal with it, you know. People use all their strength to try and twist your limbs, 
you know, and it, and there's a physical reality to that that quite often is missing from Tai Chi practice. It depends on the school, doesn't it? But there's a physical reality to things that sometimes you can go all the way for your Tai Chi career and never encounter. <laughs> I have a former student who's now into uh, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, and he came over to one of our practices not long ago. We had a good time. Mm. He was a really good Kung Fu student. 20 years ago, and he would come home with hardware from tournaments, but he uh, really has taken to jujitsu. And I said, okay, take me down. And he did, but it took him a little bit, but I, he may have been being e trying to take it easy on me, but uh, <laughs> I didn't want, I told him not to take it easy on me, but it's, you know, just, I love to compare, have someone come in, okay, show us what you do. And now yeah. let's, see what we can do against you using our principles and techniques. Are there things we can learn and get better? Yeah. I mean, hopefully the outcome of, of learning about jujitsu is that you're, you're not an asshole. <laughs> and, <laughs> you, and, and if you, if you want to go back and play with your Tai Chi teacher and uh, you could do it nicely, you know what I mean, it, it tends to be like, if you learned another style of Kung Fu, maybe that you'd feel a bit of rivalry and you'd feel a bit of, I must protect the honor of my style. And jiu-jitsu people tend to be much more open and just let us play about, you know, like just try it, you know, um, let us give it a go. Which, which leads me to one of the questions that one of your Facebook friends asked us, which was, I'd like to hear his take on power generation mechanics and grinding between internal arts and Tori style. Are they different techniques or just different terms for the same physical manipulation? Okay, so my answer would be, there is only one like grounded power. There's Jin. There's basic Jin, which is using the power of the ground to push out or send energy out, which is the power of pushing from the ground through a relaxed body, sunk into the, the legs. There isn't a different sort of, of power available in Chinese martial arts. They all use the same one. What they do with that power varies between art. Like Chen Tai Chi do certain things with that grounded power. Choi do certain things. I don't think the way you express power in Choi is the same at all as the way you do it in Chen style. That Chen style Fa Jin, I don't see that in Choi at all. That's unique uh, and different. But Choi will use like the grounded power, the buxing style particularly, because it's a bit more towards the internal side, will use that sort of soft power, they call it. They call it, my friend Phil calls it ging, which means jin. It's the same word, just in Cantonese as opposed to Mandarin. But they will train using ging by repeating a technique over and over until they get the right feel. It's very feel-based. So I strike you like this, no, and then so it's not quite like that, it's like this, a bit less physical, more relaxed. Okay, got it. And they'll, they'll keep going over and over and they'll punch each other until they can get the right feel. That's the way they train it. But what they're training is still the same jin or ging that all Chinese martial arts use. They just do different things with it. I don't know if that sounds correct to you. What do you think? Yeah, I think so. I think everybody has to use ground even if you're on the ground doing jiu-jitsu i believe you you're going to have to use ground power to help you get your opponent where you need to get him 
there's no there's no striking in apart I mean traditional jiu-jitsu from Japan there's striking but in Brazilian jiu-jitsu there's no striking necessarily so we're not thinking about ground paths and stuff in the same way for delivering force into an elbow strike set right right but equally yeah, get somebody in there we are we are using the ground because we're pushing quite often off the ground yeah. like we'll if we'll be on our toes because it lets us push against the ground to to kind of brace and frame against things um, and dropping energy or yeah a, yeah and then the ground it's interesting thing. But I, a lot of the striking arts, uh, taekwondo, boxing, everything, they're, they're all using the ground. They don't use it the same way as, for example, Chen Tai Chi, necessarily because of the different things happening in the body and the relaxation and aspects of that, which also leads back to our first question, which kind of came about as we were also discussing the top 10 requirements for Tai Chi. Yeah, Yang Chen Fu's ten important points was what we brought up, wasn't it? Because one of the one of his important points was a intangible energy rises up the spine, or you're suspended from above as if pulled up by the crown. Yeah, I did a blog post on this years ago. I I saw the top ten prerequisites, and I think it was maybe from Yang Chen Fu. I'm not sure, but I looked at him and I thought, you know, a lot of these things. They're good. You you want that eventually, but the most important things. If you don't have pungjin, you what use is this? Mm. And that's not on the list, or the ground isn't on the list. The ground and pung are so much a part of everything you do. How can that not be on the? So I I have a different list, and those are the top two things on my list. When someone comes in to learn. The first thing they learn is how to ground and what Pung is. Yeah. To be, to be fair to Mr. Yang, I think he was sure. writing in a very different time in, a, in, a, in the Republican area of China, where everything published was kind of looked over by the government and had to align with the general consensus of opinion about what was correct. This is before communism, but China never had a free press, ever. Um, and then after communism, it got worse. But the idea was that Yang Chengfu was part of that whole generation who were making people strong to defend the nation. You know, that whole whole idea of um, strengthening the nation through martial arts, that movement that started with the Goshu Institute being set up and all those things. I think if you look at his list of 10 things in that light, it fit with the spirit of the times in which he was writing. Sure. Um, One of the problems I have is that now there's so much information out here that I think maybe that should be revised, but people keep repeating it and putting it up as these are the 10 prerequisites when they're doing that. Well, that's what my teacher said, and that's what his teacher said. And look, this young Ching Fu said that. I think we need to revise some of these things. I mean, the, the, the 10 he put up, they're all good things. But like you say, they're not yes. the most essential things, are they? Um, yeah, I can <laughs> drop my head and still, I can drop my head forward and still beat the heck out of somebody if I had to, using Tai Chi principles. But I can have better posture 
if I have my byway point up yeah. and activate my Feng Fu point, which is something I only learned in the past two years. Yeah. But if you're not, say, like grounding your weight for your legs using the power of the ground, then you're not really doing Tai Chi, are you? So, um, yeah. Perhaps that's more important. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, I see things. That's one reason I was looking forward to this a little bit, a little give and take. But I see some Tai Chi movement where, okay, the left hand, for example, goes outward as if it's a push or a strike. Mm. The right hand will go down with the fingers limply pointing to the ground. <laughs> the, and don't, don't categorize me as one of those. No, Shem no. Shen stylist with the, the limp wrist. Oh, Lord. <laughs> so when will their fingers not be broken by a, any kind of an upward kick? I don't know. Uh, I just see a lot of things repeated without a lot of thought going into it. And maybe well, yeah. that's not the right way to say it. But I mean, a lot of people are doing Tai Chi for, they're not thinking about defending against a kick, are they? They're, you know, they've got various health problems and Tai Chi really helps them. So yeah you know it's fair enough they're they're getting some exercise out of it and uh, the only problem comes when they start to teach it and start talking about martial things without having trained in martial things that's where the problems occur i think yeah i, I agree i i don't mean to be critical it's just no i think we're on a, a thread of things being repeated and not revised as more information and knowledge is gained i know my teaching has changed in the past two years studying the Beijing line of Chen style, mm. the Chen Yu version through Nabil. I'm changing some of the things that I teach a little bit, tweaking what I teach. And everybody should do that at some point. Yeah. Yeah. I, I always find the more I learn, the more I, I perhaps understand better what my teacher is trying to tell me. <laughs> if, yeah. if, 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 because it, uh, there's so much to Tai Chi that it's hard to grasp it. And it's, sometimes it just takes years. Um, and you're lucky if you have a good teacher, because there are a lot of teachers who who do tell you things that are not true. Yeah, I don't uh, think my teachers ever told me something that wasn't true, which is pretty rare. I've had a couple who did that we thought were masters. And so, mm. you know, you just have to use your head. Yeah. I haven't been to see my teacher for a while now, but if I did go and see him, I could just push hands with him and say, look, I've got this idea about this thing here. What do you think? Does it work? And he just let me try it. And then I'd, after I pick myself up off the floor, I'll realize that <laughs> <laughs> maybe I should have listened to him all along. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Yeah, he's very, very hands-on, like no messing sort of guy. So, yeah. But I've like always been him. impressed by, he, he's always been able to, he drops his level to where you are. So you, you think you're doing okay. And then just occasionally you'll just get a glimpse of when he does something and he just goes to his level. You think, oh, <laughs> and now I'm scared. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Uh, I like to train with my guys. and I've, I've got a student who's 300 pounds. And so if something works on him, it works. But we work yeah. together and we'll go through something. Then I'll say, okay, don't play along. Don't yeah. cooperate. And then you know if something, if you're doing it right or, or not, or if you need to adapt. Um, <laughs> how about iron shirt? Can it stop bullets? Well, that is a damn good question. 
I think we've had this one answered by the um, the Boxer Rebellion in China in 190, well, 1889 yeah. or 8 until about 1902 or something like that, where they tried to yeah. stop bullets with Iron Shirt. And yeah. guess what? It didn't work. <laughs> no. Who was it? Uh, one of the great Bagua masters, uh, Cheng Tenghua, yes. was uh, gunned down uh, after supposedly beating up a few soldiers, ran, started running away, and they shot him. But I don't think he claimed iron shirt. No, but, but no, it I did I some iron palm for a while. Oh yeah, <laughs> I gave it up after a short while. But I knew one guy. We started training iron palm at the same time, and one of the things we did was take an industrial sized bucket, fill it full of hard corn, and then try to drive our spear hand down into that bucket. Mm. And I could get it maybe past my knuck, but my first knuckles on my fingers, not even quite to my palm. And he couldn't either. I saw him a year later in the school. We went down to the basement where the buckets were. And I said, hey, are you still doing that? Can you, he took his hand and he drove a spear hand to the bottom of that bucket of corn. Wow. And that scared me. Yeah. <laughs> that's one thing I've seen in my career that I thought that's what training for a year will allow you to do and can you imagine a spear hand into your chest your solar yeah. plexus with that kind of power well i'm thinking ribs as well you don't want you don't want someone doing that to your ribs do you no um, no ow <laughs> yeah, yeah i mean so, my, my, my teacher did iron palm quite seriously and iron shirt and iron head as well um <laughs> he, uh, yeah but he said well i i've seen him break a granite pebble with his hand which was impressive because he just went like that it was from a you know they'd got these granite pebbles from the bottom of a river they were proper hard stone and so he said when he was training it because the, the training takes an hour a day every day and if you miss a day you go back two days you know it's that sort of you have to commit to doing it which is why i've never i've never wanted to learn iron palm because i don't want to i haven't got an hour a day that i can commit <laughs> every day of my life until i stop doing it but yeah, he said he used to do an hour a day. And when he was training it, he say you get up to like a 90% level of iron palm. But as soon as you stop training it, it quickly goes down. But he said, it, but because you've trained it that much, it never goes below 30%. So he's always got 30% of it left. And his hands were hard. Like we did push hands. And, you know, you do that push hands pattern occasionally. He just rake his fingers across your chest as he did it. Like just, just the tips of his fingers would rake across your chest and it felt like metal. You know, it, it would be like, ah, ah, ah. <laughs> it was like it would, it would, it would make you stop and sort of go out. So that, that was his 30%. I dread to think what it was like when he was younger and doing it in those years when he was doing it intensively. Yeah. Um, there was a point where I thought, okay, I can keep going with this. But I enjoy holding hands with my wife. And I, I don't really want her to feel like she's holding a concrete block or something. So that was one of the reasons I gave it up, plus the, the intensity. I, I'm not a believer in hurting your body, putting it through that kind of a stress, like the iron shirt, conditioning your chest to take blows with two by fours and 
condition yeah. making your yeah. neck able to take punches just i guess it's it depends how you're training it because the way you explained again i haven't done this training so i can't really i've done a bit of the iron shirt internal training because i think having a little bit of it and the, the internal training wasn't damaging it was qigong exercises you know where there's various compactions there's a word you use compaction so you're compacting the breath into various parts of your body Th that training didn't damage you at all and you could feel like the little bit like the, your tummy became like like a drum you know when you hit a drum and it goes boom you get that kind of feeling off it but all the training was 50 percent internal 50 percent external so there was the qigong exercise with the internal bit and then there was an external bit where you'd be banging yourself or con or conditioning your hands like you were saying in, in pebbles or sand or corn. But if you were only doing external stuff without the internal stuff, I think you'd get damaged. You know, you had to balance both to be safe. I'm a, a well-known skeptic on these issues. I don't think there's anything you can do internally to prepare yourself for a, a good punch in the right place. I think I argued about yeah, this with a guy once. I, he said he he does iron shirt qigong. I said, okay, do you do iron eye qigong? Let me do a finger gouge to the eyes and see what that does to you at the beginning of a fight. But there's always <laughs> <Yeah>. a week. <laughs> well, I don't think he was claiming to do iron eye qigong, was he? <laughs> no, but, you know, I don't know. The thought of moving your qi to places in your body that makes you a little more impervious, it's I think that's chi, one of the reasons. I didn't say chi. I said compacting your breathing to various places. Oh, okay. Uh, all right. I was interpreting that. Yeah, I didn't say chi. The, the, I, I'm not going woo woo. It, it was quite sensible training. It was um, if you if you can breathe into different bits of your torso, or put the focus of your breathing into different bits of your torso, you can strengthen fascia and muscles and things like that. It's it's that sort of thing. It's not magic woo woo. I put in my energy in these places you know it's uh practical should we say yeah okay what else have we got have we, have we done our list oh there's a big one there what's the difference between yang style and chen style <laughs> hey, well, we've, we've done an hour already i think maybe we'll have to can save that one for next time maybe uh, this has been fun though it's it's fun to talk about these things it's someone else's perspective yeah I like to think we can have a good disagreement and still go for a beer. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Always. <laughs> so, Ken, thanks for taking the time to do this. And it's been a pleasure. And I'm looking forward to perhaps doing it again soon. This has been fun. You're a good man. I always enjoy reading your blog and uh, listening to your podcast. So this has been great. Thank you. Thank you. Os, as we'd say in Jiu-Jitsu. <laughs> <laughs>